0: Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Geralt of Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Sense of calm. 6. The old woman groaned and rolled onto her side, puking her guts across the dirty blanket. Carmignola saw blood in her vomit. She convulsed and rolled onto her back. The lymph nodes on her neck were the size of crab apples. Her eyes had a glassy look, and her body was burning with a fever. She had voided her bowels an hour ago. Just yesterday she had a light fever and a headache, Carmignola thought. Yesterday, when he was triaging patients, he had treated her last because her symptoms were so minor. How could things progress this quickly, he thought. He had no idea what ailment this woman had. Carminiola had never seen anything like it, never heard of anything like it in all his years at Oxenford Academy. Carminiola mixed her another remedy that he hoped would help, but she was unable to swallow it. She spat it back up and held herself, shivering. Carmagnola doused his hands in sterilizing fluid and looked to his five assistants. They had tried to move the other patients as far as they could, but the makeshift infirmary was too small to make any real difference. Every patient, themselves battling their own ailments, watched the old woman in horror. And we've no medicine to speak of? Carmagnola asked the assistants, his voice strained. Nothing salvaged from the town at all? Not even any damned herbs from the apothecary? The assistants balked. One said timidly, Brother Morgan, he he said that the fire provides us with everything we need in, in times of hardship. That's a poor substitute for medicine. What about clean blankets, or enough food to keep them? A gust of wind kicked up and scattered dirt across the infirmary and the patients. Plow it all! Is it too much to ask for some damned walls? Jeremiah's helping lead the rebuild, so why haven't we seen the benefit of that yet? Brother Morgan thought it best to, uh, one of the assistants said, to prioritize what needed to be rebuilt in order to— And just what takes priority over the sick? The thought made Carminola seethe with anger. The old woman groaned and rocked slowly to her side. Carminola touched her forehead again, scalding to the touch. He stood back up and strode out of the infirmary. Watch her closely, please. I need to speak with Brother Morgan about this. Carminola skirted around the camp and saw Ethramel on the plains, walking towards him. Perhaps the sorcerer knows what this woman's suffering from, Carminiola thought. He hailed the elf. Ethramel. have you a moment to... Ethramel walked right past Carminiola, as if he did not see or hear him. The sorcerer muttered softly to himself, and smelled strongly of vodka. Carminiola thought to follow him, but decided it was not worth the effort. Ethramel was in one of his moods. He continued on, and found Brother Morgan on the outskirts of Tarnow gathered around a wooden table with Jeremiah and a few other townsfolk. The cleric pointed to the map of the town and said softly, We should dismantle the docks. The last thing we want is a child breaking through the wood and swimming amongst drowners. How long? Brother Morgan. Carmoniola slammed his hands on the table to get their attention. We need to speak. Morgan looked at the doctor impassively, then looked back at the map. Yes, of course. I'd be happy to speak to you after we— A woman is dying from some unknown illness in the infirmary, Carminiola practically growled. I don't know if it's contagious, and I don't know how to help her. We need more food, water, and blankets, and I need a place to shelter the other patients. We could always put them in the church, Jeremiah said. Brother Morgan glanced at the craftsman before saying to Carminiola, What ails this woman? Vomiting and shitting, to start, and she's racked with fever. Take me to her. I'll do what I can to assist. Carminiola blinked. "'I don't see what you can do to—' But Brother Morgan was already walking towards the infirmary. Carminiola looked at Jeremiah, who shrugged and followed. The doctor spat and trotted along. Morgan asked the assistants to step back, and said hello to the other two dozen patients practically stacked on top of each other to keep out of the sun. "'I know this woman,' he said softly. He knelt down and brushed a damp strand of hair from the old woman's forehead. "'Her name is Agnes.' She's part of my flock. Agnes shivered. The dirty blanket Carminiola had covered her with had been kicked off. Carminiola said, She can't hear you. She's delirious with a high fever. Shh. Shh. Brother Morgan wiped the sweat from Agnes's brow with a handkerchief and whispered, Agnes, can you hear me? It's Brother Morgan. The old woman licked her cracked lips. Her eyes opened, and she could not speak above a dry whisper. Yes, brother. It hurts. I know, but the fire still burns within you. Will you let me rekindle it? Yes. Carmoniola looked to Jeremiah and bit his tongue. All the patients were watching, and it would do no good to interrupt Brother Morgan now. Morgan pressed his forehead against Agnes's and started muttering. Carmoniola thought he couldn't hear at first, but he realized that the cleric was speaking in another tongue. Morgan lifted Agnes up by her shoulders and started rocking back and forth, muttering, I will burn this sickness out of you, Brother Morgan said, his voice starting to rise. The eternal fire will cleanse your body and soul, and leave no trace of sin or rot. You will rise. Repeat it, Agnes. I will rise. Her voice cracked with effort. Repeat it again. I will rise, she said, louder this time. Again. I will rise, she was practically shouting. Then rise with me. Rise with the eternal fire. Brother Morgan stood on his feet and hauled Agnes up. She screamed. Fuck this, Carminula thought. Morgan was going to kill her, that crazy bastard. He rushed over and grabbed hold of Agnes before her legs buckled. Let go of her, damn it, he spat at the cleric. Brother Morgan nodded. His impassive expression returned. Of course. He let go of Agnes, and, to Carminula's surprise, she did not collapse into his arms. She was standing on her own. Agnes looked at Carmignola with wide eyes, then at Brother Morgan. One of the other patients gasped when Agnes took a few tentative steps. Then she started weeping. Thank you, Brother Morgan. Thank you. It was all you, Agnes. Your faith in the fire has cured you. But you should still rest. The cleric looked at Carmignola and nodded. The doctor will make sure you recover quickly. I'll see that fresh linens are sent, as well as food and water. We've no medicine, but perhaps we can scrounge some herbs. Carminiola could only nod. He didn't know what to say. Brother Morgan headed back towards Tarnow. Jeremiah shook his head, then followed. I've been cured, Agnes said, as Carminiola gently guided her back to her makeshift bed. The eternal fire protects me. Carminiola wanted to believe that. He gently touched Agnes's forehead. Her fever hadn't abated. He made her drink water and waited by her side. For now, he could do no more. 7. For the second day, Zevo found himself in the forest with Remy, waiting for a monster he knew would never come. So why am I here at all? The Witcher thought. It was a good question. He rubbed out his mustache and frowned when he found it wasn't there. He had shaved the remainder of it away that morning. It would take some time to regrow. Remy continued to blather away. But Zevo had to admit that he didn't find it as annoying as he thought he would. So the Bear School Keep is in the Amal Mountains to the south, he asked. Aye. It's called Herrn Keddick. Zevo was surprised he was sharing so much information with a child, but he figured there was no harm in it. Besides, it helped pass the time and take his mind off everything else. Gets damned hot in the summer, and damned cold in the winter. How old were you when you started training? Zevo considered. He had arrived at Heron with Sigurd when he was ten years old. Back when my name was Beathluf, and I was just a fisherman's son from Skellige, Zevo thought with a frown. He had not thought of his old name for some time. He had changed it to Zevo of Kavir when he had first set out on the path, because it sounded more trustworthy than Beathluf of Skellige. That was all so long ago. I was ten, he said to Remy, but that was impossibly old for a recruit. My mentor Sigurd didn't expect me to survive but you did. What did you do with the training? Watch a lot of boys die, Zevo thought, but said. You spend day and night running along a wooden beam to get your balance. You spar with witchers twice your size and get covered in bruises. You exhaust yourself, learning paltry magic spells. You read more books on monsters than you know what to do with. These memories were as painful as the wounds Zevo had endured, and not ones he liked to revisit, all while wearing heavy plate armor to get used to the weight. Remy waited for Zevo to pause before asking, Is it true all witchers are children of surprise? Zevo grunted. As far as he knew, every witcher recruit is claimed by the law of surprise, when someone pays off their debt to a witcher by promising that which they own, but don't yet know exists. Nine times out of ten, this surprise is next to useless. That was how Zevo became the owner of an angry tomcat named Bandit decades ago. Occasionally, though, the indebted peasant would return home to find that they had a newborn son, and the law of surprise bound that child to the witcher. Zeva was no different, though he was considerably older than most children of surprise. He didn't remember much from his time before Heron Kedek, but he remembered being taken away from his parents for a few months by one of his father's many debtors. He remembered his mother paying off that debt while his father was away at sea. And he remembered his father coming home with the witcher who had saved his life and helped him back to shore. Surprised to find his son returned, that was enough for Sigurd the Witcher, who took the young Biathluf away that very afternoon. Zevo did not say any of this to Remy. It was best to leave these memories in the past, where they belonged. Remy seemed to sense this and did not speak for some time. The two of them sat in a tree near the clearing, waiting for a monster Zevo knew would never come. Curiosity won Remy over again, as Zevo knew it would. But he asked this next question with some reluctance. So how do they... how do they do it? How do they turn a boy into a witcher? Yellow eyes and all, you mean? Yes. It's called the Trial of the Grasses. On top of the training, they feed you a special diet of herbs. These plants slowly dull your emotions. Then they make you drink some sort of alchemical concoction. This changes you. Seven out of the ten boys die before the transformation is complete. I was one of the lucky ones. Then he thought, If you can call living a life as a wandering mutant that's hated by all lucky, I suppose. Zevo waited for the question Remy never asked. Waited to give the answer Remy didn't want to hear. For a brief moment, Zevo entertained the idea of taking the orphaned boy to Herrn Kedik, to try to make a witcher out of him. But, of course, that was not possible. Remy was too old. Henkettek was too far, and the trial of grasses was too dangerous, if they even had the materials and knowledge to replicate it these days. And he wouldn't want to curse the lonely boy with an even lonelier life of a witcher. Fortunately, Remy had more intuition than Zevo gave him credit for, and stayed quiet. They sat in the forest, waiting for a monster both of them knew wouldn't come. Strangely, Zevo felt a sense of calm, felt a modicum of peace. In the forest, things were simple. Beyond the trees, things got tangled. The witcher looked up at the darkening sky. It's getting late. We should go. Remy nodded, and they headed back to camp together. 8. Jeremiah felt irritable. He had spent his second day in Tarnow putting together a team of workers to execute his plans. Most were amateurs, but they seemed willing enough to follow orders, so long as brother Morgan didn't contradict them later and that was highly possible. The cleric had spent all day breathing down Jeremiah's neck, after all. He felt exhausted as he headed back to his tent, as the sun was setting. And not just because he couldn't sleep last night. And not just because his side had been aching all day. And not just because he witnessed that strange business with Agnes. And not just because he felt the urge to go back on the road and away from Brother Morgan as soon as possible. So Jeremiah had to hide his displeasure when Morgan cut him off on the way back to his tent. I'd like to speak with you. Follow me. The cleric still spoke softly, but in a tone that brooked no argument. Jeremiah followed Morgan to his tent. The cleric's brazier was lit and cast harsh shadows. I'd like you to be baptized by the eternal fire during the congregation tonight. Jeremiah blinked. He thought he had been prepared for anything, but evidently he was not. I'm sorry, I must have misheard you. I'd like you to be baptized by the eternal fire during the congregation tonight, and I'd also like you to renounce all profits you make from the church on your crossbows. Jeremiah couldn't help but laugh at such a ridiculous statement. But when Morgan's flat expression remained unchanged, he said, Why would I do that? Because there's an aura of darkness surrounding you, Jeremiah. I sensed it the moment I met you, but I ignored it. I chose to trust Mother Lana's judgment but that was a mistake. Morgan ran his hand along the brim of the brazier, and Jeremiah wondered how hot the metal was. For all my life, I have been blessed with visions. The eternal fire visits me occasionally, and illuminates what needs to be shown. Last night, I had such a vision. I saw you, knee-deep in the snow, with blood on your hands. I don't know what you've done, but I know it must have been heinous indeed." Jeremiah resisted the urge to clutch his aching side. "'What are you getting at?' "'You are cursed, Jeremiah Keller. This aura won't disappear. Even now, I see it as clearly as I see these flames.' "'Well, if I am indeed cursed,' Jeremiah said, forcing himself to grin, "'then I know someone who can help me lift it.' Brother Morgan did not find any humor in the situation. You have brought sin into this town. You sell weapons of war to make a profit. Weapons that will kill thousands more. You must renounce the money you'd make from such death. Let me baptize you during the congregation tonight. Pledge yourself fully to the eternal fire, and your sin and your curse will be purged. Jeremiah tried to control the livid anger rising within him, and failed. In general, he was not against being baptized. It was just an empty ceremony, after all, and would strengthen his bonds with the church. But to renounce the profits from his innovation... From an invention the church desires? That was a bridge too far. Who did this upstart think that he was, giving Jeremiah demands? He tried to control his tone as he said, Mother Lana seems to see the value in what I create. Why should I listen to you over her? Mother Lana is not without her blind spots, Morgan said with a nod, though she takes my visions quite seriously. I wonder what she would think of you if she received a letter telling her everything I know. Jeremiah's nostrils flared. It was a good thing he didn't have his hammer on him. If he did, he might have brained the damn cleric. The church will side with me as long as I continue creating their crossbows. Surprisingly, Brother Morgan's placid facade broke, replaced with a mask of impotent anger. He saw the cleric's fists clench, then relax, leaving small pink crescents in his palms. He knows I'm right, and he knows he can't go against the church, Jeremiah thought. That hurts him more than anything. He can't stand to not be in control, even for a bloody second. Jeremiah stepped towards Morgan and jabbed a finger at him. He said, Don't think you can blackmail me, whelp. Send your letter to Mother Lorna if you wish, but I'll never let you baptize me. Brother Morgan's calm expression returned, and he shook his head slowly. You are a cursed sinner that does not deserve to stand in the light of the eternal fire. The church may not see that, but I can. Jeremiah grinned. You're saying you know better than the church? I'm saying any number of accidents can happen on the road, Jeremiah. Jeremiah's grin disappeared. He suddenly wished he did have his hammer or crossbow on him. He watched Brother Morgan closely and said, I think it would be best if we left Tarnow. Morgan ran his hand over the fire. I pity you, Jeremiah. I truly do. Save it for someone you can reach. Jeremiah spat into the fire and stalked out of the tent. It was dark and it took a moment for his eyes to adjust. He looked back at Brother Morgan's tent, and saw his frozen silhouette. Jeremiah ran across the camp looking for his companions. He found Ethramel first. He was wandering the outskirts, muttering softly to himself. "'And where have you been?' Jeremiah asked. "'Eh?' Ethramel looked up, and Jeremiah saw he wasn't the only one who had a bad night's sleep. "'Oh, I was just—you know. I was walking.' "'Go get the horses ready.' Jeremiah looked to his left and to his right. The refugees were going about their own business for now, but it wouldn't be long before Brother Morgan whipped them into a frenzied mob. This calm would be short-lived. We have to leave the camp. Now. Ethermel offered no resistance, which concerned Jeremiah. Whatever the elf was thinking, it wasn't good. But they had bigger problems at the moment, and little time to resolve them. Ethramel shrugged and said, "'All right.' Jeremiah looked around the camp. Where are Zevo and Carmagnola? That'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Sapkowski, The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red, and The Witcher Tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. The music is by Eric Mattias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at Tales Witcher Pod on X, or at talesfromthewitcher.buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week.